What's up, guys? Before we get going today, just want to remind you, podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. Skybox is the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval and Advanced Modeling Mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports wagering, sports handicapping industry, along with years of wisdom and experience. These guys are legit. If you're wagering right now, maybe it's some baseball, maybe you're into golf, I would encourage you to get into NASCAR. These guys are up 24 units on the current NASCAR season and a 30-plus unit weekend between NASCAR and the Kentucky Derby. You need to hop on this or you're just kind of pissing away free money for the lack of a better phrase. Excuse my French. But you need to go get on these guys right now. They have weekly packages, monthly packages, sports-centric. You do a weekly NASCAR pass, weekly MLB pass. Any sport, you can go weekly, monthly, day pass, I would recommend doing the full year because you're just going to make it back and then some very quickly. But you can do daily passes, weekend passes. They have something that's going to fit your price range is my point. And with my promo code, Rippy, you can get 20% off whatever that is. So they're running a deal now where you buy the four-week NASCAR pass, which is 25 bucks. If it's not profitable, you get your money back. So you throw in 25 bucks and you're either going to make a ton of money or just get the 25 bucks right back. Not sure how you can beat that. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use my promo code, and you will get 20% off. Go check these guys out. They're legit. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. You all know the drill. You know, Greg, go see him this weekend. It's May. Weather's getting warmer. Grilling season's up. They got all kinds of stuff at the store. Uh, Lane Train special, Keith Carter special. How about that blast from the past? That's an old ad read. But if you're a subscriber to the Rippy Rights podcast, you get a 16-ounce prime strip for 10 bucks right now and $2 off any fish in the freezer. Check them out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Greg is absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Quick note before we get going today, no normal Mailback Friday podcast for me. I'm actually traveling to Oxford to catch these games in person, and so Colin and I had to record late on Wednesday night. So we got into about an hour and a half, hour 45 minutes of Vanderbilt Series preview where Ole Miss goes from Gunnar Hoagland's injury and kind of the ceiling for this team moving forward as well as, uh, you know, who becomes the most important player on the roster. We identified two candidates as well as got into Mike Bianco's decision-making and some other things. So we'll move it back to mailback Sunday, but I just wanted to give you that quick note. Tons of baseball to dive into today. Let's roll. Rippy writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Mailbag Friday. I am Brian Scott Rippey on the other end of the line, as he always is. is Colin Brister. Appreciate you joining us for another edition of the Rippey Rights Podcast. To be honest, I'm not even sure if this is Mailbag Friday. We'll go a little inside baseball here. Because of my travel plans to Oxford, I'm recording this on a Wednesday night with Colin, who's been very nice to uh, be flexible with my schedule. Had a hell of a day today. I don't know if we're going to do the Mailbag Friday. This might sound dumb as shit. We might re-record a Mailbag Friday after this. We're just going with it. But we knew we had to get in front of a mic and talk some Ole Miss baseball for at least an hour to give the people something on uh, Friday. So we'll preview the Vanderbilt series and then just kind of see where it goes from there. What's up, dude? So at the beginning of the year, I did not watch many Ole Miss midweek games, just to be frank, because I had things going on, whatever. And after watching, like, you know, their bullpen be as bad as they were on weekends. I watch every midweek game now and just pray for someone to be good. Like, like that's that's where we've re- that's where we've gotten to in the Ole Miss baseball season. Just praying for some bullpen arm to be good. 
Yeah, so as we currently speak, and again, I'll reiterate. Oh, I, there's let a, me say this real quick. Uh, Josh Mallett started today, and he, he pitched two scoreless, and I was praying that he would blow up in the third. Just to not have the temptation yeah, out just there? Just so Mike didn't get ideas. Well, but look, buddy, when there's two zeros up, that's all he needs, and we'll, we'll get to that in a second. I, he could have given up 12 in the third, and it still would have been enough. Um, tried. I'll make that case here in a second, I promise. The uh, – <laughs> But as again, I'll reiterate, as you're listening to this, there might be a mailbag segment added on the end of the podcast, and you're just time traveling, wondering what the hell we're talking about. But at this moment, Ole Miss has just beaten Ole Arkansas Little Rock. Um, tw- what was that score? I don't even know. Oh, nine to four or something. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And, uh, like, and to your point, though, you know, with, particularly with good teams and as good as you thought this team would be, the midweek supposedly was kind of useless. The uh, you know, in terms of, like, determining anything with this group. And, you know, the midweek's always useless to some degree. But the midweek, the last month and a half-ish with this team has actually kind of been telling, right? It's where you discovered Jack Doherty. It's where they took the red shirt off. Red shirt it's where you're, like you mentioned, watching everyone, hoping someone in the bullpen will be good. Like, the midweek results aren't significant. You take can't take anything away offensively. But, like, from a pitching standpoint, the midweeks kind of uh, become important, and I think that may be as good an indication of any of just how this year's gone for this club. No, sure. I mean, it. You know, it's funny they they tweeted out the stat that they're undefeated at home during the midweek. You know, they've got the loss to Louisiana Tech. Um, they they didn't play very well for kind of a variety of reasons that I won't get into. But yeah, they've been good in the midweek, and you know, just just haven't. You know, hasn't translated really from a bullpen perspective to the weekends. And the, to, to, you know, as corny as that sounds, they, you can hurt yourself in the midweek. And with sure. all the team's flaws, they have not done that. Because you remember the big selling point with the 2018 team was how good they were in the midweek because that 2017 team, I don't even want to go back through that schedule, if I remember correctly, was horrendous in the midweek and really had a couple, I don't know if you call it RPI bombs, but had some really head-scratching losses. And I remember writing a couple of times, you know, this is the sign of how tough this 2018 team is because they don't lose in the midweek. And Mike said it a couple of times, and that's probably actually why we wrote it. But there is some credence to it. For all this team's flaws, and it's probably just because of how good they are offensively, they have been good in the midweek, and there have been some teams that have really stubbed their toes in the midweek before. Sure. Um, and, and you talk about how they hit the midweek. And this is something that interests me, and we'll get into the kind of the postseason picture, I'm sure, here in a little bit. But um, this is a team that consistently tears up midweek pitching. They pretty much consistently tear up SEC pitching on Saturday and Sunday. So when we talk about when they get into a regional, got a good feeling that this offense is going to bring it over the, the, over the course of a regional and super regional. So, uh, you know, especially when you – look, SEC's best conference in America. I hate to beat the SEC drum, but it, but it is. Um, and you, you, you talk about playing a, a level down in competition. I think this offense has a real chance to put up kind of some crazy numbers in a regional, which is why, you know, obviously the loss of Gunnar Hoagland hurts. But I think this team still has a chance to do some special things too. Yeah, and just kind of looking back, I said I wasn't going to go through the 2017 uh, team's midweek deal. But uh, I'll just go ahead and put it out there. That team, I'm looking at it now, that team had a stretch where they lost 11-2 to at Memphis, took them 10 innings to beat Little Rock 5-4, to 
12 to beat Southern six to five on the next midweek. And then later that year had a great big whopping. There was one more bad one in here that I remember distinctly. Oh, that 17 team scored a whole one run against Georgia state over the course of two games. That is, they lost two. So that was the stretch. I just missed that. So they, they lost that 2017 team lost to 11, two to Memphis lost two to nothing in the second game to Georgia State, where if I'm not mistaken, that first game is one to nothing. So almost had was. a combined like 14 hitless innings or some something or runless innings in that. So they go 1-0 win, two nothing loss to Georgia State in the midweek. They need 12 innings to beat Southern Miss. They need 10 to beat Little Rock, and then I had a five nothing loss to Arkansas State that year. That's not great. No, that's pretty terrible. So. You talk about uh, hurting yourself in the midweek. That's not why we're here today, though. Let's not bury the lead any more than we need to. Since the last time we spoke, and I know we've already outlined the hypotheticals, and I think by the time you and I talked on Sunday evening, we probably saw the writing on the wall. Gunnar Hoagland is out for the year with a UCL injury. Um, He's going to require Tommy John. He's getting that on May 18th from Dr. James Andrews. Um, you know, I didn't think, as I mentioned and I wrote in the newsletter and I said to you on Sunday night, I was not bullish on Gunnar Hoagland's chances of pitching in an old Miss uniform again. But even with that being true, there was a path to avoiding what actually happened to him in terms of just the outcome of the MRI. And unfortunately for Gunnar, it was probably the worst case scenario. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, as far as you – there's two different realms of this, right? Because if we're just talking about Gunner, the human being, then, like, this is not worst-case scenario because he'll be fine. He's still going to get drafted in the first round. They're going to pay him a lot of money because nobody's scared of Tommy John anymore. Um, if you talk about Gunner as far as an old Miss pitcher, it's obviously worst-case scenario. And I'm not going to say catastrophic, but it's one level down from catastrophic. I would call it catastrophic. What would what would be your definition? Well, well catastrophic means to me the season's over. I don't think the season's over. Okay, so hold that thought for half a second. Let's decide to dissect the holding thing because that was a question I was going to throw at you, and I find it's interesting. That's kind of your mindset. I don't necessarily disagree. I don't mean it in that sense. But let's let's reel it in for Hogan at this point, I mean, for the time being. It sucks. It really does. Sure. I know it's not the worst case scenario. I'm stating the obvious. It sucks. He's a good kid. He worked his ass off after some fr- struggles freshman year. Has turned into a really good pitcher. Just ask the color guy at A&M the other night. Turned himself into quite the Friday night guy. And it just sucks that it ended this way for him because he was having a hell of a year. I mean, you talk about a man that looked like a different human being from the time he you know, stepped on the mound as a freshman in 2019. He really changed a lot, and, and he, he, he was a huge piece of this team, and it sucks that he doesn't get to finish his college career the, the way that he wants to go to. Yeah. I guess I'll go this way. We talked about even if it wasn't a major injury, I thought they'd be cautious and maybe put him on the shelf just because of what he's in line to inherit the wrong word, but what he's going to sign on the dotted line for in a month and kind of generational wealth. I am far from a draft expert. I covered a draft for a website that, you know, was tasked with charge of covering a major league club, and I still don't feel like I understand it from a stock standpoint. What do you think this does to his 2021 draft stock? Um, you know, he, he was a uh, top 10 pick, really, consensus before He was going to be third pitcher taken at worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
third or fourth. I think he may be the fifth or sixth. But this isn't going to scare teams. I mean, there, there's going to be teams that – I mean, he was always probably the way he pitches probably at some point going to get Tommy John. And, hell, they'd probably rather it be now from a pro perspective. Get it over with. Get him in your system and, and get him uh, acclimated. I, I, I think he does it. I don't think he falls past 20. Um, maybe he does. I don't, I would be shocked if he falls. I, frankly, I know he's not falling out of the first round. Um, so yeah, I, it's going to suck. It's going to cost him some money. Um, but it's not going to cost him, you know, a, a ton of money. It's, you know, we're talking $500,000, which that's a lot of money to me. But when you're talking three and a half, four million dollars, it's in the, in the scope, scope of that, it's not a huge amount. Um, but, no, I, I completely expect him to be drafted in the first round, uh, even still with, with the arm injury. I think so, too. And admittedly, as I just outlined, you know, uh, what I just said a second ago, that was a guess because I am not some renowned draft expert. But with the way Tommy John is now, I just figured, okay, he's probably a late first rounder. It's going to cost him some money. But in terms of, you know – it's not devastating draft well, stock, and I, I'm glad you agree to that point. Uh, I, mean, it doesn't, I, mean, I just meant like dollar amount. Like, right? it's costing well, I mean, there's a perfect example last year at Mississippi State. Now, it's not – JT Ginn doesn't get drafted in the first round, but who cares what round you get drafted in when they give you $2.9 million. Um, Good point. So, you know, they're going to – Gunner's going to get 2 to $3 million to go pitch. And some people are saying, well, he could he come back to Ole Miss? No. No, he's done. He's thrown his last pitch as a rebel. Um, and that sucks, asking that? right? Yeah, people are saying, you know, he could come back and improve his stock. It's like, well, how much can you improve it when they're handing you $3 million? Um, he's thrown his last pitch as a rebel. And that and what sucks – look, this obviously sucks for the kid and, and whatnot. What sucks now is you were robbed of last year because he was going to do what he did this year, last year. Um, because I, I felt like Gunner was the same pitcher this year as he was last year before uh, COVID hit. He was going to be special. I think, frankly, he could have been a little bit better last year than he was this year because there was less scouting report. Because, look, he was a completely different guy from 2020 to 2019. Um, and and you remember for the restart, though, there was still kind of a prove-it element to it. And, because you and he was doing it. Yeah. But if you remember his last – well, his next to last start against East Carolina on the road, he goes up there and just shoves against the top ten team. Um, he, he had found it. And that's what's going to always – that 2020 team will always bug me about what happened and how it ended and whatnot. But when, when you think back, Gunnar Hoagland is one of the best pitchers to ever come through the University of Mississippi, and it just kind of feels like you were robbed of getting him to, getting to watch him pitch. Oh, a thousand percent. And that I, I've said this from the time that it happened, and I was still shockingly working in radio and living in the state of Mississippi when the season got canceled in 2020. Because, I mean, dear God, doesn't that seem like a half decade ago at this point with everything, you know, the world's endured since. But, you know, I, I said it, I think, on radio at the time. It's like when you write the book on Mike Bianco and however it ends here at Ole Miss, the, the great, like there's going to be an entire chapter dedicated to the greatest what if of all time. And, you know, some people may think if the super regional against Texas turns out differently or the super regional against Virginia turns out differently, what happens and how's that change his legacy in my mind, without a shadow of a doubt, the biggest what if of all time with him in his tenure is what would have happened with that 20, yep. 20, uh, 20 team. Because you're talking about the exact same team 
with Anthony Servideo and Tyler Keenan. Yep. I mean, not the exact yep. same team, right? You don't have the TJ McKitts and the Jacob Gonzalez's, but you get my point. It's the same core with two veteran hitters. Yeah. And, it, you know, and yeah, it, that, it sucks, man. Um, you know, so that, that, that's, that's what I'm always going to, that one's always going to bug me because, you know, Doug Nikhazy going to throw his last pitch as a rebel here pretty soon, I'm pretty sure. Um, and it just kind of feels like, you know, you were robbed of two years of watching Gunnar Hoagland and Doug Nikhazy because, man, if you've got those two dudes on your team, the, the sky's the limit. And I, I said, you know, if Gunnar's MRI had come back clean and he was going to take the mound on Friday night for Ole Miss, I'll tell you this team's got a shot to do something really, really special because it's really hard. Even at 14 and 10 and things have, have not gone your way, it's really hard when you've got two guys on the mound uh, like that to beat them. And, you know, so it just kind of sucks looking back that I think Gunner, what did I say, nine starts as a freshman in SEC and he's made, what, seven this year, but one doesn't really count. So you got to see him pitch 15 SEC games over three years, and, and that, that will always bug me. Yeah, that's a that's kind of a poignant way to frame it. In my, I mean, that's a that's a good way to put it. I mean, he essentially pitched. I said this the other night, where it was almost half of an SEC season. I'm not going to fall for that shit again. It's a, a season and a half because he only starts one game, not the thirty games. I'm good at math. Unless you're Drew Pomerantz. Yeah, that's true. Not to brag, I <laughs> am going to throw you off guard with one question because I'm not sure there's a there's an actual moment. But what is your favorite moment of Gunnar Hoagland in an Ole Miss uniform? Auburn. What he did against Auburn this year, um, just because it was it was. It was his first SEC start on a Friday night, um, and he just goes out. And, and I said this at the time. It's one of the more dominant performances I've ever seen from an Ole Miss ace, uh, from an Ole Miss pitcher. Now, Nikhazy outdid it a few weeks later in Starkville. Um, but watching him just completely baffle Auburn all night long, and, you know, the, the, the seventh inning there, uh, they, get the, they get the leadoff guy on. They hit a double. Uh, second and third, nobody out, and he strikes out three guy or two guys on six pitches, and then strikes out Case and Howell to end the inning. Um, next inning, Calvin Harris hits the home run, and then the next inning, he pitches another shutdown inning to get it to the ninth and get it to Broadway. Um, look, obviously, he does, he throws two postseason games in his life, uh, wins one up against Jacksonville State, and obviously the game three against Arkansas didn't go his way. So there's not a ton of uh, you know memorable moments because of what happened in 2020 and him obviously getting shut down early. But that Auburn game was one of the more special performances I've ever seen from a, from an Ole Miss pitcher. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, 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 you took the words out of my mouth on that, that one. It, it'd be Auburn as well. Uh, I'd say the only other one I'd offer was, you know, two weeks ago against South Carolina, sure. one hit and didn't walk anyone. He only got to 73 pitches. They like to you talk about what could have been. I wonder what, you know, if he doesn't have the dip in velocity and now looking back at it, in hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't mean this in any sort of point of oh. way. Probably a little bit of an indicator of what happened and maybe what was to come with his velocity dipping. But, you know, healthy Gunnar Hoagland, if he's through six innings against South Carolina with one hit, like where the hell do you think that goes? It goes eight innings with one hit. Um, but, you know, it, in his last start in an Ole Miss uniform, he goes six innings, one hit, ten strikeouts with probably a torn UCL. I mean, that, it was probably torn at that point, you know. So, it, it's crazy. The kid kid was a warrior, um, and it just kind of sucks. Because he, you know, when we look back 5'10", now he won't be remembered um, 
as one of the best pitchers to ever come through here. But from a talent standpoint and from what he did when he was on the mound, he absolutely was. Uh, yeah, could, couldn't agree more. Can you refresh me? I was at these games and I don't remember it. So Ole Miss beat Jacksonville State, then they beat Clemson, and then Jacksonville right. State actually made it through again, yes. correct? Yes, they Jacksonville State beat Illinois that Saturday, and then Clemson that Sunday afternoon. So Ole and then Miss got bombed. Yeah, that's exactly right. I remember that manager uh, for Jacksonville State. Uh, this is the most random note of all time, and this is probably why you listen to this podcast for useless shit like this. The Jacksonville State baseball manager has been there a long time and is yeah. a doppelganger for Bruce Arians. Okay, take that with what you will. That's what I remember about that. Uh, I did Actually, I remember sitting in that press conference that night. Not necessarily feeling bad for those kids, but you talk about the NCAA tournament. I have a note I want to get to later in this podcast that doesn't have as much to do with baseball. But, you know, you, you get big money college athletics and you think, of, you think about it that way and you forget that, you know, there's a lot of kids at small schools that got life-changing opportunities to play in a regional at Swayze Field. And, like, there's kids from Jacksonville State that you never had a chance, but, you know, don't tell that to whatever that right fielder's kids oh. was that came in and talked and answered questions in the press conference afterwards because that was a life-changing experience, and those kids absolutely believed they could have won that Oxford region. Well, I mean, if you're Jacksonville State, right, in 2019, you you went to Swayze Field and beat two Power 5 schools and got to the regional final. Like, that's hard to do. Um, now, I felt bad for them because I knew – because you got to remember, this is the year after Tennessee Tech. And if you remember, Dillard hits the first pitch of the game about 585 feet. And it was an so, assault nonstop after that. Yeah, and I was just like, oh, okay, this this is not going to go well for them because they're not going to stop. And they, they did not stop. Where is Jacksonville State? Trick question. Uh, somewhere in Alabama. Yeah, exactly. I thought it was Florida until that night in 2019. Have you heard – you know, they, they just recently got a football team. 2018 or so, they started their football program. Wait Definitely minute. wasn't around in 2010. Ah, oh, I knew where you were going. This I had to be like I definitely, was Barksdale. Definitely did not exist in 2010. So is out, and this is kind of what everyone is probably wanting to to know. And we 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 parlayed this, uh, or not parlayed this. We projected this on Sunday night's podcast, which uh, I'll just go ahead and get it out of the way now. One, I sent that podcast to Ben because he's been posting on the Spirit Board, which I appreciate. But his response was, what sane human talks about Ole Miss baseball for two hours and ten minutes? I was Man, like, look. I was like, that's well, no, a good nobody. No, no, no sane human does that. No. But I would say all that to say the response to these Friday and Sunday shows has been absolutely awesome. I know we were talking about this last night. Shout out to the listenership that has made this a lot of fun. Um, I, I didn't know what to expect when I started this podcast, and I begged you to come on with me twice a week or what turned into twice a week. But I certainly didn't expect the numbers we were doing. So uh, shout out to the listeners. This has been uh, great. So that I just wanted to get that note out of the way before we got too far in. The spirit seems to like us, and I like the spirit, so that works well. I sent my father a text message last night, and you know what? I'm not a reporter anymore, so I don't give a shit. I sent this text message. Because my, I don't look at message boards anymore just for a variety of reasons. My dad. Do you remember was, when you got hired by the Jackson Clarion Ledger and a message board accused you of being a rebel spy? 
That was yes, that was a certain Mississippi State two four seven message board. That was uh, probably my first entry uh, into message boards. I was an intern at the Clarion Ledger, and my dad, who is a Spirit subscriber, uh, which I think gets you in. Like, it, I don't know. Somehow he got tipped off about the, what was going on in the state message board. And this is nineteen uh, year old me reading messages on a message board about myself being a planted spy by Ross Bjork. I actually almost sent that screenshot to Ross that night and was like, "Great work, pal." Um, anyway, I sent this message to my dad last night because he was the one that pointed out to me that we were actually being talked nice about, uh, for our Sunday podcast on the message board, which is honest to God, probably would just led to this sentimental note from an otherwise sarcastic asshole. My dad sent me, uh, them praising our Sunday podcast. <laughs> and my dad doesn't know a whole lot about podcasts. And so I said, yeah, it was our, by far our most listened to episode. It passed the Mississippi State bullpen debacle episode by a long shot. Bianco may be an idiot, but he's good for business. <laughs> he's good for business. <laughs> God bless. Let Mike screw up a super regional game because he doesn't put Broadway in or he bunts Kevin Graham or something, and we might, we might break actual records. Look, if he keeps this up, we'll be selling this podcast to ESPN by June. So, <laughs> all joking aside, thank you for the <laughs> listeners out there. I, I really do appreciate it. This is so. So wait a second. You you are completely team. Please don't fire Mike Bianco. I don't know if I'm going that far, just for some reasons I've outlined in the past. But while he's here, if he wants to continue making head scratching decisions, uh, the Rippy Rights podcast and my SoundCloud account, thumbs up. We should up. we should like just every weekend start off the Sunday show with like. Five dumb things Mike did. Yeah, I mean, I should start putting out fake headlines. Ole Miss sweeping South Carolina. We got good listenership on that number, but I should have said South Carolina shouldn't have scored a run. Here's why Bianco's stupid, and we might have gotten more listens or something. Just manufactured outrage. Reb sweep South Carolina in spite of Bianco. Reb sweep South Carolina despite giving up five runs on the weekend. Here's why that's bad. <laughs> basically what i'm telling you is we're hypnotizing the people listening to this into continuing to listen to us but uh before we get off on too far of a tangent in all seriousness i do appreciate everyone listening y'all made uh, talking ball on sundays and fridays a hell of a lot of fun so shout out to you guys for doing that and uh that's probably why we are here tonight so gunner aside you mentioned this earlier i know we prognosticated the rotation after that, I think we agree on probably what it will be. But we'll rehash that a little bit without – Oh, it was announced. Uh, yeah, so uh, you'll get into that because I was actually doing an interview for another story I'm doing that's dropping next week that I filled you in on. So I didn't catch the midweek press conference. But I say that to say we did hash out what we think the rotation might be going forward. We uh, got hypothetically mad about something that hasn't happened yet about the idea of Mike Bianco. <laughs> pitching Doug Nikhazy against the four seed if Ole Miss even gets to that point. All of that aside, let's just rehash it for a second. What is the rotation this weekend? Because you heard it. What? All right. Uh, well, you don't know. I'll let you guess. What do you think it is? Mike being Mike. I'll I, I, you, you, I, I tell you what. You say the uh, – you go Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'll tell you if you're right or wrong. Doug Friday. Correct. Diamond Saturday. Correct. And McDaniel Sunday. Yep. Oh. You know what that means, right? 
he's starting. Derek Diamond is going to pitch the biggest game of the season for Ole Miss in about God three weeks. God, are you okay? So this is what we look, and we're we're counting our chickens because there's a whole lot of ways to go about. Sure, and there's a whole lot of ways to slide this up. But for those of you that are not familiar, maybe didn't listen to the Sunday show, Colin and I, I was about to call it an argument. We were on the same page. We 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 collectively got frustrated together about the idea of if oh if Gunnar Hogan is out for the year, which at the time we didn't know. Now we know. If he were to be out for the year, obviously Ole Miss's best strategy is to pitch Diamond or McDaniel if they were a regional host against the four seed and keep yep. Doug against the two seed because you want your best pitcher going against the best team. And if Diamond can't beat a four seed, it doesn't matter. You weren't beating the two seed. He sure as hell wasn't beating a two. Either yeah, the only way – like, the only way that it even makes sense is like, okay, for example – and you just pray this doesn't happen. Fordham has a guy that they would be a four seed and he would be a top five, top eight, ten pick in the draft that's left-handed and throws 95 miles an hour. Yeah, if that guy shows up, sure, throw Doug. But, like, other than that, no, don't throw his ass against Northeastern. Yeah, exactly. So, we, like, pissed each other off by just the mere idea of it. And then now you're mentioning after the game tonight – Mike Banco did line it up and say that it sounds like it will be Diamond. Excuse me. Sorry. Nikhazy, Diamond, McDaniel. I don't think it necessarily matters as much against Vanderbilt. Um, I know where you're going to go with this because of what's happened with Leiter lately and the uncertainty around him. No, no, that's not where I'm going to go with this. Um, let's, Let's play this out. What day did Doug start on last week? Uh, see, you're making me go back a bunch of days. It had to be Saturday. It wasn't a Thursday. Saturday. Okay. So what day is he starting on this week? Friday. Okay. It's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series next week. What day is he going to start on? Thursday. So and you know damn well what day he's throwing on on Hoover, right? Tuesday? He's throwing on Tuesday and Hoover. So we're, we're, we're shortening rest every week for the next three weeks. That that that's where my issue comes in to throwing him on on Friday. Now, if you I'm leave him there, I'm going to feed you a softball here to feel this fire before you go on to it. But uh, so he's it, you're right. His shortened rest is every day for the next three weeks if this continues. Uh, do you know why they're in this situation? Why? Because the last guy got hurt. <laughs> Wonder why I got hurt. No, I'm kidding. That's not fair, Mike. Look, no, that's not fair. That's not fair. I didn't. I wasn't insinuating that. But you know, let's play the optics game a bit. You know, yeah. however, Gunner got hurt. No, there's no blame to be had. And I will. I'll, no, I'll no, circle no. back to that in a second. I think that's silly, and I, I don't even want to dignify a couple of these stupid internet narratives oh, out there. But on top of that, just from a sheer optics standpoint, not that it matters. When your first round pick goes out with an elbow injury, so you're gonna throw your other first round pick exactly <laughs> a short shortened day, and then the SEC tournament he's gonna get two shortened days. I derailed after you after having an lot. injury himself earlier this year. Yes, he did. That was a world ago, but Doug Nikhazy was hurt. I derailed you. Finish your thought. No, it's just I, I don't necessarily think it's a. So my argument there isn't oh Doug might get hurt. No, I'm not worried about Doug getting hurt. He'll be fine. Um, my, my worry is we're talking about a guy that since he left Starkville has given you exactly what you needed, but we know from, a, I mean, just in the, you know, watching Doug pitch, he's not been, you know, vintage Doug the past three weeks. And now we're going to keep, we're going to short him rest the next three weeks. Uh, I don't, 
look, I don't hate it. I get it. And frankly, you may need to on that Tuesday win the baseball game in Hoover to lock up a host spot. You might not, uh, but you might. And and I understand throwing Doug. And then, you know, hopefully if you get to that point, you can at least give him until that Friday or Saturday of the regional off. I just worry that, man, if you're going to short a guy a, a day of rest each week, that at some point that, that feels like it might blow up on you. Sorry, I stepped away for two seconds. I'll cut this part out. Hold on. My fucking drink from Chick-fil-A. Give me two seconds. <laughs> All right, we're good to go. Okay. Oh, we've been recording this entire time. I didn't even pause it. Screw it. All right, here we go. Give me – I'll count to five to know where this is stopping, and then we'll okay. – Yeah, you're exactly right about that. And I actually think that's an underrated part of the college baseball season, right? Do you think – like, to me, in my mind, and you've seen this happen time and time again to where particularly there's been a couple old Miss teams on the bubble over the years that it, that Tuesday game in Hoover has become, since they added the Tuesday game, you know, very important. And even before that, you know, I know it was double elimination from the start before Missouri and A&M joined. But, like, that first game in Hoover has <laughs> is, is become important. And I don't feel like enough college baseball coaches have accounted for the short rest and how that stacks up with the postseason. Because it's a weird deal, right? Because every last series is Thursday-Saturday because of the yep. in Hoover. And if you catch a Thursday-Saturday – before that, or if you just happen to change your rotation before that, like you're shortening a guy another day's rest, which you think is going to happen with Nikhazy if all things hold true. Do you think enough college baseball coaches kind of account for that? Because it's a weird deal um, back in because there's a world where Nikhazy throws that Tuesday and then does not throw again until the following Friday. It's a very weird time in the schedule that I feel like so, we did not talk about enough. Yeah, and, you know, I figured it up. Doug's going to make – Doug's going to make four starts in the next in, in, in a seventeen day span, which seems a little seems a little much, but I'm sure he'll be fine. He's an older guy and can probably handle it. Um, when you talk about you know college coaches not accounting for it, I would just be honest. I'll tell you how it is, and I I'm not you know saying Mike's wrong to do this. Mike's one of the few guys that brings this Thursday night guy back. Most of them just throw midweek guys or throw bullpen guys and try to get through Tuesday, and then they'll bring their guy back from Thursday on Wednesday. Most of them don't bring back their guy from Thursday. A few of them do. Florida does. Mike does. Uh, but most most teams that aren't fighting to force something on that Tuesday, uh, like, uh, like I don't know, take, for example, an Alabama. If they're safely in the tournament, they're not bringing Tyler Ross back on, on Tuesday. They'll just pl- throw whoever and go home. Um, you know, it's – it's, yeah, I see what you're saying, but my point is most guys do adjust to it because they don't throw their ace on Tuesday. Yeah, fair enough. That ma- that certainly makes sense, and you're right. Mike's a guy that's always done that. Um, even in years where it hasn't always made a ton of sense, but uh, we could stay down that rabbit hole for a while. So you're getting Doug, Diamond, and McDaniel yeah. this weekend. and. The direction I assumed you were going to go with that initially is the direction I'll just take it now. Look, 
Kumar Rocker is starting for Vanderbilt on Friday yep. night, barring an earthquake or a Chinese rocket hitting the, the United States, correct? Yes, yes. Well, no, it can hit the United States. Just better not hit Oxford. Yeah, sorry, I should have just narrowed that down because, you know, this podcast is global now. We had a Canadian draft guy the other day. We got a couple people listening to this podcast in Belgium, unless they're just bots, uh, based on what SoundCloud tells me. So we're global here. But unless a, unless a uh, 10-story size rocket hits Oxford, Mississippi, Kumar Rocker is throwing for the Vanderbilt Commodores Correct. on Friday night. And for those of you that follow college baseball closely, Jack Leiter – um, who is the second coming of Jesus, if you ask SEC Network, has not been good lately for Vanderbilt, but had a hell of a start to the year. Look, they're a good one-two punch, to, to, you know, uh, you know, jabs aside uh, on my end. Sure. But he was scratched from his start last week against Alabama due to – what was the injury? Do you remember? Workload. Just, yeah, workload. Sounds like arm soreness. Uh, Tim Corbin had a media opportunity today, which I know I, there's a quote that I know you saw because I saw it too that we'll get to later. Which kind yeah, of, screw that guy. It actually, it actually made me respect him a little more in a weird way. But At I'll, least he kind of acknowledges it. Exactly. I'll say that. That's exactly what it was for me. But I'll save that take for later. Point being, uh, outside of uh, coming off that media opportunity as recently as Wednesday, I keep saying today. I know people will be listening to this at different times. Jack Leiter's status is still up in the air as yeah. whether he will pitch for the Commodores this weekend. And so I know we've been on the second-guessing train with Mike Bianco, but Doug Nikhazy is undoubtedly your best pitcher, even if Gunnar Hoagland sure. was – I mean, in terms of just who you feel most confident in to win a baseball game, even if Gunnar Hoagland were healthy, Doug Nikhazy is probably the answer to most people listening to this podcast, I think both of us included – I'll pose it this way. Why are you wasting him against Kumar Rocker, who's oh. been much better? Okay, I'll uh, I'll vehemently disagree. Okay. Um, I, Kumar actually statistically is, is worse than Leiter. Um, lately, though? No, not lately. But I don't – I mean, Kumar gave up six runs last Friday night now. Um, I don't think Kumar Rocker is unbeatable. I, I watched Casey Mize come into Oxford – um and get assaulted frankly oh, oh don't get me wrong so I, you're right i don't think he's unbeatable i'm just looking at it from the standpoint of you got a guy their guy who kind of you know if you look at it it's kind of overshadowed rocker this year in terms of hype and production at times in the year and he goes in game two and his status completely uncertain I'm not saying you punt because Rocker's unbeatable, but don't you like Ole Miss's chances with Doug Nikhazy, whether it's Leiter or someone else, as opposed to you know what you're getting with Rocker? Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's uh, a chance that I would like – would you like Ole Miss's – would you like Doug Nikhazy's chances against Kumar Rocker or Jack Leiter better? All right, Jack Leiter, but here is – all right, here's my rebuttal to that. What gives Ole Miss – and let's pretend, because Mike Bianco doesn't know, we don't know. Let's pretend for kicks and giggles that Jack Leiter is not going to pitch. Let's, let's just pretend that. What is Ole Miss's best rotation to give them a chance to win every game if Jack Leiter is not going to pitch? It's this one, right? Okay. Are you trying – I mean, uh, this sounds stupid – with everything you've been through and what you need to do, presumably, to submit yourself as a host, which we'll get to in a minute, 
do you need to win every game? You, you don't, but, I, I mean, look, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I talked about Doug's rest, and, and what I meant by that was I really hope they don't throw in that Tuesday in Hoover. I, with, bef- with the lighter news coming out today, and then I'll be honest, um, if they don't know today if he's not going to pitch, I really kind of lean towards he's not going to pitch. Um, I don't think that's a decision you make on Thursday or Friday and say, yeah, bud, you're good to go. Like, I feel like that's a week-long process. I don't think he's um, either. So, my, I would actually do this. Um, I would give myself a shot to win all, all three games. Um, because, I mean, I look, I mean, I get what you're saying. If you throw Doug on Saturday, you're going to win that game, and then Sunday's a free shot. Or not a free shot, but, like, you have just as much of a shot against them on, on Sunday to win, right? Like, I understand what you're saying by that. Right. I'm my, looking the closer to guaranteed outcome. And I agree sure. with what you're saying, too. It's just a classic of two ways of diff- thinking of things, and one's not right or wrong. But, yeah, exactly. So – my thing is, it's just out like it's kind of been. Also I'll, I'll, let me say this too, real quick though. I think Mike's doing this so he can throw Doug on Tuesday in Hoover. I actually do think he's thinking that far ahead. Really? Yeah, I do. I think you he's know, thinking he the rotation this way. I mean, I just I just guessed his rotation well, without knowing it because I know he's kind of simple minded in that sense, and I don't mean well, because dumb, but easy. Uh, I, I yeah, I I do think that. He's thinking a week and a half ahead. That I guess we're two weeks now, but whatever. I, I, yeah, I just think that he thinks I'm going to probably be in a game on Tuesday and Hoover that I need to win. And Doug, mm, crap, needs to pitch that game. It's indigestion. We'll Are they to- going to need to win that game in Hoover? Uh, yeah, it's 17 and 13, yes. Now, now let me let me be very clear because our friends at D one baseball have decided that somehow or another Ole Miss is not a host team. Um, so may, maybe they don't. Maybe they're just not part of the twenty come come Friday. I don't know, but that would shock me. But yes, assuming they are a part of the twenty and they don't get to eighteen wins, uh, yeah, they will probably need to win that. And I'm not saying it. You have to win or else. I'm just saying it probably would help you if you won that game. One. Would absolutely stun me if they're not called as a host on Thursday, which well, I'm just going to assume that that's probably the case because we record this on a Wednesday night and I'm contemplating when to drop this episode because of travel things. Like, there is a world where you're going to have to get on the phone and we're going to have to record an emergency segment or some shit while I'm in an airport if they're not one of the 20. Well, they're not announcing it until Friday. I thought it was Thursday. No, nope, announcing it Friday now. Okay, never mind, because uh, Friday I'll be in no state to podcast. Just read oh. it if you want. Um, well, and somebody made an interesting point on one of the message boards I frequent today, and it, it I couldn't necessarily disagree. Look, obviously you want to play regional at home. There is some freedom to try to find something if your name is not called on Friday. Like, we, you know, you're, gonna, you're not playing at home. You're going to – need to find some bullpen arms if you're going to win a road regional. Like, there is some freedom to say, hey, you know what, Brandon Johnson, let's see if we got something here. I do think that is kind of an interesting perspective. I do as well. It's the more extreme version of – I argued in 19 – and this was actually before that they had their slide 
and it looked like they were going to be a two seed on the road when they were kind of a borderline host before things got really, really shitty in May. My argument was, okay, so what if these guys aren't a national seed, if they can host and get their way through a regional, it might alleviate some pressure from them to go on the road for a super because the one time a Mike Bianco club has gone to that place in Nebraska, where did they play the super? Louisiana. I'm not saying, and you remember, and we're going all over the place now, but I don't care. Do you remember what that setup was going to be in 2014? What do you mean? hosted a super. Oh yeah, and let me, let me. All right, so there are very that would have been hold horrendous. On. There there is one situation where like if Ole Miss if something happens, Ole Miss hosts a super regional. And if they if it doesn't, they don't host a super regional. And I root for them to not host the super regional. There's like one thing that can possibly happen if that would be the case, and that was it. Because there is no way in hell I wanted Mississippi State and Oxford for a super regional. Now, reality was, Ole Miss would have kicked the crap out of state, but I would have thrown up the whole time. Yeah, so for those of you who don't remember what we're talking about, in 2014, Ole Miss was a regional host, right? They get through the Oxford Regional. They uh, talk, talk about a team with some tough mental fortitude. You remember that Georgia Tech team and that Washington team was really damn good. Ole Miss got through a really, really good regional that year in Oxford, but they were not a national seed, and so they were paired with the UL Lafayette Regional. And Mississippi getting weird, if you'll remember what happened in that UL That's in state. And someone – this made me so mad the other day for no reason, and I don't even remember the kid's name from Jackson State. Someone on the internet or some podcast I was listening to credited Grambling for going to beat no. Lafayette on the road in that – the hell with you? Exactly. It, like, made me mad. I was like, that was Jackson State. I, like, I knew – I know it was. That kid pitched the game of his life. Jackson State on the Friday night of the UL Lafayette Regional – Beat UL Lafayette, who was like fifty six and eight on the. And year. if you remember, Ole Miss gets rained out on that Friday. Yeah, so everybody's just watching that game, pissed off. Yes, and Jackson <laughs> State, that kid throws the game of his life, and Jackson State wins one to nothing. And Mississippi State is the two seat in that yes. regional, and so State gets in the driver's seat. Right, they win yep. the two three matchup, and then they beat Jackson State on that Saturday and lost twice in a row to ULL, where if they had just won one of those games, you were going to Oxford. Mississippi State Super in Oxford. Oh, God. I, my blood pressure and other things that uh, contain the word blood would not would have been extremely, extremely high uh, if, if that would have come to – good God. I, again, Ole Miss – you know, and I was told this, they wanted Mississippi State. They wanted them in Oxford. I did not. But they would have beaten State because State was not very good that year. But, God, I couldn't handle it. It's a playing the result thing. I don't doubt that because I talked to a couple of those guys from that team for that uh, just gen- gradually over the years as well. I'm, I'm somewhat friends with one of them, Matt Denny. But uh, talking to those guys through the years, they definitely wanted State. But they also acknowledge the fact, and this is because we got off on this tangent was the point I was trying to make. I do think going on the road alleviated some pressure from some of those guys, and they've admitted it a couple of the years. I mean, Sykes Orvis kind of admitted that when I was interviewed a couple of years ago. Yeah. But uh, I'll tell you, the last thing before we get get it back on the rails, 
Uh, you say you're glad that that didn't happen. Can I offer someone who is probably happier? If you're going to say five, I'm telling you who's rooting for Mississippi State. No, I was going to say OPD. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, you know that's happening this year, right? Like, the, if Ole Miss hosts, they're pairing them with State. You think so? Yeah. That, that's, they're, they're going to say 50% of attendance and put 10,000 in that thing, and it'll be a zoo. Look, if you're Mike you know what, hold, we'll get to that. If you're Mike, I'll just go ahead and get to it. If you're Mike Bianco. You better win it. I was about to say. But <laughs> you like, better win it. Talk about either it's all or nothing. You either accrue a ton of capital back, all of the capital back amongst the fan base, because no one cares if you go to Omaha again or it's over, over. That's, uh, that's the ultimate all or nothing, is it not? <laughs> better win it. Um, what would be great is if uh, – that happened. State lost the regional. I would enjoy that. Yeah. So that's a because uh, so the way things are this year, if I'm not mistaken, Ole Miss would have to play their super in State Stadium. No, no. That uh. So um, we we actually do kind of need to address some of this. So the way this is going to work is they're going to go certify all the stadiums, and they're going to announce 20 stadiums that can host regionals and supers. Um, they will announce the national seeds like they always do on Memorial Day. If the regional that is paired with the national seed, if the national seed loses, but the other regional host wins, they can host that super, the regional host. If state, like say state and Ole Miss were paired, if state and Ole Miss both lose, then state has to host that super. Does that make sense? Oh, uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so they, they can't. If the approved sites has a chance to host a super despite it not being a national seed, they could. It's just if a two seed won it and the other approved site lost as well. That makes sense. Right. Yeah. Can you imagine like Southern Miss and Tulane playing in, playing in Starkville? Yeah, dear. God, I... do you know how stupid that would be if uh, Southern Miss and Tulane had to go play in Starkville? Yeah, that would be dumb just for a couple extra oh, vibes. And I'm not trying to be a COVID truther. But anyway, um, all right, bringing it back to the rails, this weekend against Vanderbilt. Sure. This is a huge series for this team. Yep. Um, I, I, so, I'll, well, let's look, first look at the injury front before we get too terribly far into this thing. Uh, how, like, I don't know how to phrase this. Ole Miss has had fortunate injury luck, I would say, for the most part over the last seven, yeah. eight-ish years. Yeah. Um, because you do have a lot of college baseball teams every year. And, look, man, whatever you think about Mississippi State's program, they have had a couple of teams with catastrophic injuries that – Couple times that they've worked through and kind of made improbable runs with a couple of times it's kind of derailed their season. Ole Miss is not. I guess I'll post. I'll start off with this question: Has there been another team that has had this weird injury luck under Mike Bianco? I feel like Ole Miss has been pretty fortunate. Oh. I'm sure there's one, but I can't think of it. No, no, I've never remembered something like this. I mean, you're talking about your best pitcher, your best hitter, your best, your second best bullpen arm. And frankly, your second best defender in Jerry Neely, who doesn't get to play even a pitch. Uh, uh, your uh, your borderline, I mean, your ace now missed time earlier in the year. You had to yes. start that, and your starting second baseman, who's kind of yep. the catalyst of the top of your order, missed a ton of time too. Like people forget about the time that Shotenye and and Nikhazy lost earlier in the season. It's not just the guys that aren't there anymore. That yeah. shit matters, even though it was earlier in the year. Sure. I mean, you're talking about, you know, a game against UCF that you lose without Chatney and a game against – or two games against UCF and a game exactly. against uh, – a game against ULM. Imagine if you win two of those three games, what your RPI looks like. Um, 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it, look, it's been an unfortunate year injury fronts. And I know like the common cliche and, and I get it from a coach speak standpoint, this is what you tell your team. Hey, next man up. But like at some point yet, yeah, the shit matters. That's um, what I'm getting at though. The, the, the yeah. whole next man up, it only goes to a certain point, And you know, no, it, it really doesn't. Gunner, like, you didn't call the gunner thing catastrophic. I may disagree with you slightly. I don't think this team is necessarily done, done, but I would also categorize it as a catastrophic injury. But like, you know, this team is borderline at the point to where you almost can't judge the results because of the injury. I'm not saying they're there yet, but do you know what I mean? Like, if Nikhazy tweaks something, and God, I feel oh, weak. Oh, God. Yeah. But you see what I'm getting at? They're one more major thing away from just being like, okay, just take this horse out back and shoot it and try again in 2022. Yeah. Some would argue they're already there um, because of Gunner. So – I, here's what I'll here's what I'll say. Um, you have in your rotation, uh, yes. Th- from an injury standpoint, you 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 couldn't be more correct. I mean, th- th- this has been awful from an injury standpoint this year. I mean, you're talking about if you have, well, I mean, just imagine if you have Elko and Gunner, you're talking about three more SEC wins and a a seventeen and what uh, seventeen and seven SEC team. Um, so here's what I'll say from a rotation standpoint. Your guy on Friday night, and, and you, you tell me if you agree with me or not. Your guy on Friday night is, in Doug Nikhazy, is as good as anybody that you're going to see on Friday nights, right? Like, I don't – he's first-round pick, and he's been awesome this year. Is that, is that fair? He's one of the better Friday night arms in the country. Sure. My only dissent would be, uh, in the words of the great Michael Scott, I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little stitious, and I believe in the Doug Saturday thing. So, does that change mm-hmm. at all? I mean, no, not to, to me, no. Um, well stated. Go ahead. Drew McDaniel is perfectly fine on Sunday. He's probably – I mean, it, it's hard to say he's one of the best Sunday guys in the country because when you get to Sunday, it's the third best arm you have, like, from a starter standpoint. But he's perfectly fine on Sunday, correct? I mean, he's better than Sam Smith, and guess who went to Omaha with Sam Smith? That's just, this is kind of my point. Like, yes, these injuries are not good but there is still enough there to make this work too. Um, the offense has not missed a beat. It's been, it's been amazing over the past 15 games, frankly, and I don't see any reason that it will fall off. There's no signs that it's going to fall off. I, uh, um, not to derail you, I wholeheartedly agree. And can I interject one thing in here? Sure. Uh, you're making this point. One, one of the catastrophic injuries we're talking about, the guy hit the ball 400 feet over the fence the other day. I'm not saying he's going to be a full-time DH, but he is. So what you're saying is Gunner's going to DH now. <laughs> oh, man, I haven't <laughs> even gone that far. I, I, my brain was not prepared for that. Sorry. I could, you know what? I'm going to write that down at the end of the list. You just talked to yourself for 10 more minutes having to deal with me. Um, <laughs> what I was getting at was Elko is back in some capacity, right? So it's. It's sure. not what you want. It's not what you want from a lineup standpoint. But he is able to swing a bat, and he's able to hit the ball over the fence if you really need him to. So you got that one guy back. The Gunner thing sucks. There's no way around it. No. But I will say that to say, to me, this is – and maybe I'm off base with this, and maybe this sounds stupid, but to me, at some point, this is kind of a program toughness tester. Because do you remember when, when State swept Ole Miss in 2019? Yep. 
and that's yeah, I remember bad that. of a, a a loss Bianco has had, particularly in Oxford, in the entire time he's been there, right? It was the worst regular season weekend of his career. Oh, it was horrendous. But do you remember what the narrative was from a beat standpoint surrounding that weekend? It's not that Ole Miss got swept by Mississippi State and that team was in a bad place. That was part of it. But it was the reflection of the two programs and that Ole Miss had a bunch of nice kids that were talented baseball players. But State had four or five just, for the lack of a better phrase, dirtbag assholes on that team. And I mean that in the most endearing way possible. They, they, that team embodied Jake Mangum's spirit. I mean, how often would you have Jake Mangum on your team? 11 times out of 10? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so that was kind of like these two teams have different mentalities. And that was a year outside. No, that was the same year State made that improbable run. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. That was the year before. You're right. It was 18. Sorry, yeah. I had that wrong. That was the year after the whole Gary Henderson run to where Correct. he lost a couple guys to injury and that they stunk. You know, they stunk, and then all of a sudden they're in Omaha after their season in Tallahassee gets extended by thread. But my point being is, you know, State's toughened up a couple of times over the years through some injuries yep. and other adversity and made a run and just made it work to Omaha. Sure. Ole Miss is never as much as run of a – won a regional as a two-seat under Mike Bingo. If there's ever a time to kind of nut up and figure it out and make a run, yeah. wouldn't it be this year is what I'm going to say, I guess. Could I make an argument that the guy that's going to take the ball on Friday night could be that spark plug? Cause, sure, cause I, the pieces are still there. Derek Diamond is still plenty talented. So is Sure. You find a couple like, of bullpen arms and you're okay. Are you a better team with Gunnar Hogan? Of course. Yeah. No one is suggesting otherwise. But you just – Call the season a wash because Gunnar Hogan went down after uh, Tim Elko went down, to me would be more indicative of the Ole Miss mindset versus the state mindset is my point. All right. So, so yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. Here's my thing, and I wanted to talk about this with Diamond. Um, you, you look at Derek Diamond's stat line, and it's like 495 ERA, 505 SEC ERA. It's not good. He gives up a lot of hits. Slugging percentage is high. It's not good. That that can't be rescued this year. Like like he could do really well, and it's still not going to be a pretty from a statistical standpoint. But the reality is, like from this point forward, none of that makes a shit right. Like like it doesn't matter what, what you did. It doesn't matter what he did against Arkansas. It doesn't matter what he did against Florida. Like they need him now, and and if that kid doesn't perform, Ole Miss isn't going to do crap in the postseason. But like if Gunner, if if Derek Diamond, let me tell you, say this. Derek Diamond takes the ball Saturday, goes six innings, two earned runs. You sh- you shocked at all? No, no, like, I'm not. But George- at the same time, that's what this entire year comes down to. I mean, you said it, you mentioned something about five minutes ago, and my brain is so so fried at this point. I can't even remember what you said, but that's what the light bulb popped off in my head. Would I also be surprised if he goes through two scoreless? He gives up a. Two runs oh, shot in the third inning, then walks the bases loaded, and all of a sudden it's six runs. I would be equally as unsurprised. The whole season in this team's future, I hate to be unfair, kind of rests on that kid's shoulders. It's not unfair. It is what it is. Um, someone, look, I mean, let's call it what it is. I mean, when, when Tim Elko went down, somebody had to step up. The dude playing right field did. Like, he's hitting 450 since Elko went out. 
Um, or and you the know, Gateway was, and center field never missed yeah, a beat either. Too. Yeah, like someone's got to step up, and and the most obvious candidate is Derek Diamond. And if he doesn't, then and, and I'll say this, um, I am if I'm Mike Bianco, I'll lose games with Derek Diamond because I know in the back of my head, and I know frankly in my heart, like I can't win without this kid. So if I have to send him out there against Georgia and watch him get shelled, then so be it. But I'm not quitting on him because I cannot win without him. It kind of – do you remember in 2019 when they were going through hell and, and Parker Crazy was just getting shelled? Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, and I know what you're about to get at too because it's, it's one of the quotes that stuck with me through the years uh, about Mike. But go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I know what you're going to say. Um, so they, everybody remembers they go on the run in the SEC tournament where they beat A&M, they beat Arkansas. And they beat Georgia. Parker Crazy closed out all three of those games after. And I went back and looked. His last four appearances before that game, he had a 27 ERA and like a 2.5 whip. Awful for a month. Horrendous. But you know what Mike said? And I'll give Mike a hell of a lot of credit because he was 100% white, right? He said, We can't, essentially, I'm paraphrasing here, we can't do anything next week without Parker Crazy. So we're going to let him figure it out. It's kind of to that point with Diamond. It's like, man, you can't win without this kid, so you just got to let him figure it out. You can't – like, he gets in trouble Saturday, you can't just go pull him out of the game because you're scared to death. He's either going to work through it or he's going to get his ass kicked, but one of the others got to have Okay, one, great, great insight, great point. Two, I'd like some credit myself because I actually asked this question. And then I, uh, I just – I have the exact quote there. You weren't even really paraphrasing. Uh, because I, I, this, this, this registers so distinctly in my mind, uh, I was able to search myself on Twitter in about two minutes and pick it up. Mike Bianco at 12.48 p.m. on uh, May 23rd, 2019 said, I do not believe we can win in the postseason without Parker Caracy. And then he went on to say something else to the effect of, I just don't believe we can do it. And he was 100% right, and you're exactly right. Uh, to point that out, I just want my own credit because I did ask him that question without him yelling at me. Which at <laughs> what did you ask? Do you remember? Um, I asked something to the effect of, "Was it good to see Caracy look at himself, look like himself again?" And did your like? I basically asked him. You know, you got to pat my pat, pat Mike on the back while you ask him a question if you're asking him something about from a strategic standpoint. And I basically just asked him, um, you know, why did your confidence never waver in this kid? And I knew the answer. They had no other option. They had to. No, it's, I mean, Ron Olenek was closing games. Yeah, no, I had to get the quote out of him. And he, <laughs> he put it, you know, a lot of times, Mike, even if you ask it the right way, is it going to cooperate? But, I mean, that quote led my story that night. He said, I do not believe we can win in the postseason without Parker Caracy. And he was 1,000% right. Guess what? Ole Miss can't win in the postseason without Derek Diamond. And You wrote another story that night. But he's 100% correct. You wrote, you wrote another story that night. You remember what that story was? No. Ross Peacock to Texas A&M. Oh, shit, that was the same day. Because uh, I remember they played A&M that day when it got announced. Yeah, no, we talked about that because uh, uh, on the last podcast, because I was sitting That's at that right. place, I took an Uber in from Hoover to Birmingham, which everyone thinks is the same thing. It's like Canton to Jack. It's kind of is the same thing. It was about half an hour and I get a call from someone that was like, hey, your guy Ross is going to A&M. And I was like, you know, horse shit. Let me enjoy this deep dish. And then I get another <laughs> call about five minutes later. 
<laughs> that has already happened. So then I walk out in the parking lot and call Ross himself twice to have no answer, to only What's figure it? out that he's not answering anyone's calls. I was like, well, that's a dead giveaway. This I might be. I on my phone to text you. I was like, hey, you got to post this for me. Like, I'll, I'll buy you some beer later. You got to put this on this website for me. Do you – and you may know this. I've never asked because, you know, remember Keith Carter and, like, Matt Mossberg were at that game? That day – and then that drove game? back to Oxford. And Ross they had no the clue. Wait, so hold on. Was Ross at the game? Yes. So he was there in an old Miss polo, presumably. No, 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 no. Sorry, 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 sorry. No, no. He was there the day before. Okay, okay, okay. So he, he left. He was not there, though, if I'm not mistaken, because I've talked to Keith about this, and I may have actually asked Matt, Matt Mossberg about this. I can't remember. I definitely talked to Keith about this. He was there the day before, but he was not not there the next day because he took the job. He was at some donor deal somewhere else. But the shocking part about that whole AD thing was that people in the building, and not just like Joe Schmo Schmo. Nobody knew. No one knew. Even Nobody had a freaking had clue. Idea. That's why the story <laughs> broke from someone in Texas A&M beat. Some guy from Texas yep, A&M. Ben Baby. Yeah, who now covers the Bengals for ESPN. He's yeah. a great reporter. Broke that. That's why it didn't leak from Ole Miss's side, because literally no one knew. His closest confidants within the athletic department had no clue. Keith had no idea. Stories I've ever, stories yeah. I've ever covered. Keith had no idea felt what I was told was correct. Like, he was going back in – or he was in Hoover with everyone else, and he got the call right before the tweet happened. Ross called him a few hours uh, after it happened and was like, hey. Guess what? I, I don't want to say something that's, that's not true, and I, would, I don't want to go back and listen to an interview I did with Keith Carter in 2020, but it was something to the effect of, this is your ship now, at least for the time being. Good luck. So we went from Parker Caracy to uh, Ross Bjork and Keith Carter. Um, but you're right, Derek Diamond – like, old, that kind of comes down to this kid. And he's a kid that's a Sunday guy as a true freshman, not a COVID freshman in the rotation. Like, it's not unreasonable. It's like someone tweeted me last weekend talking about how they left Diamond in too long. And it's like, it's not unreasonable to expect this guy to get out. Now he's yeah. going to put his big boy pants on and be good. And if he's not, what? I'll be completely honest, man. Ole Miss doesn't have a ton of a shot. But if he's no. good – the, the, the absence of your first-round pick, as bad as it stings for uh, Gunnar Hoagland, and it sucks for him, and it's a huge blow to the program. Of course, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. But if Diamond is the best version of himself, it's not as big of a loss that it looks like on the surface. So, I'm not saying Derek Diamond is going to do this. I'm not saying he can do this. If there's one person, and outside of Doug Nikhazy, who you've obviously got to keep up Doug's level of production, if there's one person, again, besides Doug, that could almost come – who on that roster besides Doug could come as close to filling Gunner's shoes as, as anybody on that roster? I mean, you know, the, you set me up and you – know, it's, it's him. Who? It's Dom. Oh, I thought you were saying besides Diamond. Would you like to know? No, my- no, no. That's what I'm saying is, is besides, besides the case. Well, this is something – okay, besides those two, because this is something you posed the other day, and this is where I wanted to go with this. Oh, yeah. We got out of here. 
Um, you know, the other answer is, is an obvious one, but I can, I saw you post this on the internet, if I'm not mistaken, earlier today while I was bored at my cubicle, shout out to the cube life. Um, I don't think Mikey Banco would ever do this. He wouldn't. Your, your point was not wrong. You know who the other option is. Well, yeah, it's Broadway. My point wasn't that Broadway could fill in and be what Diamond was or be what uh, Hogan was, excuse me. Your point it was, was one of your three best pitchers. Yeah, he's the second best pitcher on this team right now, and I have a hard time – I personally have a hard time limiting the innings my second best pitcher can pitch. I That's just me. That, but Mike Bianco also put in Josh Mallets to get through the six at Mississippi State less than a month ago. Like you know what I mean? Like you're yeah, not no, wrong, you. but you got to know who you're dealing with as well. Sure. Yeah. No, I just, I personally have a hard time saying that Taylor Broadway can only pitch in certain situations. I mean, that's what a closer is, right? Like he's not coming into the game down five to three in the fifth. He's not coming into the game up eight to two in the seventh. Like. I just have a hard time saying these are the innings he can pitch when he's your second best guy. When he's your third best guy, I think it makes a lot of sense. When, when he's your second, I don't. When, but in, in saying that ahead, with Diamond, no, I was just saying I, from a from a who can replace Gunnar Hoagland blow for blow standpoint, it's Diamond. Do I trust him to do that? Not really, but it, it wouldn't be totally shocking if he did. Uh, yeah, 100% on that, and then you're 1,000% right on the Broadway thing, and I feel like when it comes particularly to college baseball, people have these mis misconceived notions of, oh, he's a closer and he uh -oh. can't do that. But Taylor Broadway was a position player in JUCO two and a half weeks ago. Like, you're telling me he can't start? He's a closer because he throws 95 miles an hour and has nasty-ass stuff, and people in front of him made it to the fact where he didn't need to be a starter. Like, I mean, there was a world in 2019 you could make the argument that Taylor Broadway was going to be the – well, 2019 is probably a little far-fetched. There was a world early 2019 when Gunner was really struggling. You can make the argument Taylor Broadway was the Friday night guy in 2020. Like, this is not some set concept that he just can't do it because he's the closer. The guy was a position player in JUCO three years ago. No, if you're a major league baseball pitcher – and you're a rolled as Chapman, and all you've done is throw sure. 25 to 50 pitches every outing you've had for six years, that's a different deal. That's not the way it is in college. So I agree. I don't think you should limit the innings. I know exactly what Mike Bianca is going to do, and it's unfortunate. I'm not even saying he has to do this. I'm just saying I don't even think he's going to consider the possibility. But you're dead on. Like, it's this idea that, that Taylor Broadway couldn't do that because he's been the closer for – Two months is silly. Yeah, no. I, I mean, and I, you see it all the time, frankly, in regionals or whatever. Like, hey, we're one and two – or we're two and one, and we're nailing our fourth pitcher, and our closer's only throwing an inning. And let's roll them out there and see what they what we can get. Tennessee Tech did it in the first game in 2018. They threw their closer. Um, you know, and that's really where kind of Ole Miss loses that last game because they let their closer throw seven innings. Um, and don't really have to use anybody else. Um, but, yeah, it's just, you know, I, I don't think Taylor Broadway, like you said, being a closer. I mean, he, he threw four innings against TCU. You're not asking him to do much more than that. You're asking maybe another inning, sometimes two. Um, I personally probably would have moved Broadway into the Friday or Saturday role. Um, but I, I will say I don't fault 
Mike for not. I just, I just oh, kind of think too. it's I, I just kind of think it's different opinions, and then that's fine. I've I've said it for a long time. I, I disagree with a lot of things Mike does, but I can understand the rationale. But like when you talk about what happened last Sunday, I have no clue. I have no idea what he's doing. Um, but yeah, no, look, I mean, the closest you're going to get, Taylor Broadway could not replicate what Gunnar Hoagland was. The, the only person besides Doug McKenzie that can replicate or come close to replicating what Gunnar Hoagland gave you is Derek Diamond, and he's going to get every opportunity to do the, to do that. I mean, I'll be honest. Ooh, now. Okay, so wait, just stop you right there. Why can't Broad, why couldn't Broadway do that? Uh, I do think. All right, so here's here's where I will say that I don't think Broadway could be a guy that goes through the rotation or goes through the batting order three times. I but I think the the. I think in saying that he could be a guy that goes through the order two times just fine and gives you five innings. Um, whereas Diamond can get through it three times if his stuff's good and he's mentally tough and he's throwing the ball over in, in the on the corners and whatnot. Um, I, but he could also be the guy that after twelve hitters is giving up six runs. Uh, Broadway just kind of feels more consistent. Like, hey, he's going to give you four or five innings every time. Um, Diamond could give you seven and two, or he could give you three and six. Like you, you know, you're you're playing feast or famine there. Fair enough. I, that certainly makes sense. Last thing I'll get to before I want to move on to another topic that I had uh, written down here is at some point, let's just say Diamond's not good and it doesn't go well for him this weekend or next. They don't really have another op like other options yeah, I mean, when it comes to like a like a like a typical blueprint, you know, what your average person would do or what your average manager would do. If that's the case, unless everything goes perfect with Diamond, is there not going to have to come to a point where Mike Bianco has to go out of his comfort zone and make some kind of bold move to sustain this season? Whether yeah. it's moving Broadway into the rotation or just trying something, for the lack of a better phrase, funky. And Diamond. that's kind of been his most, like, weakness as a manager, right? Like, he's – he doesn't really do shit like that. What, making an adjustment? Outdated. But don't you feel like that's coming unless all things go perfect? He's going to have to make some weird moves. Um, even if you do the diamond thing, say even the diamond sure. thing goes well, that's one less arm in the bullpen. He's now going to have to trust someone else that he hasn't trusted at yeah. this point, and he's not going to want to do it. So is he going to ride the guy too long, whoever that may be? Maybe it's the only other guy he trusts. I'm trying to even think who it would be outside of Brian. Brian, I'm going to tell you who it's going to be. Matt Doherty. Sorry. No, so, no, it's not Doherty. Doherty's going to throw meaningful innings in Broadway. No, no, no that's what I'm saying. So, so like, the, the, that, I was trying no, to – I, I know who it's going to be. At the, who stands who about, do you have to trust? He's going to stay – he stands about 6'8". He's from the great state of Iowa. Agree. <laughs> he, threw, he threw two scoreless innings today against Little Rock. Wait, who? Wait, Iowa. Yeah, Austin Miller is from Iowa, my friend. Oh, 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 no, sorry. You said. <laughs> no, six, no, I'm not talking about Wes. I was about to say, you said 6'8, and I immediately went to Burton. No, I agree. I'm 100%. That was who was on my mind as well. And, you know, unlike Wes Burton, if you want to compare the two, uh, Austin Miller has some pelts on the wall. Sure. He's got a big out in huge situation that has been. I will say it until I'm blue in the face. What he did in the later innings of that Sunday SEC championship game in May two years ago against Vanderbilt is one of the more baffling things I've ever seen because you just couldn't figure out how he's getting guys out. And arguably the best lineup in the country was swinging through everything that guy was pitching. Did he have – he – I'll have yeah, to go back to It was like a six-strikeout in an eight-batter stretch or some shit, right? Yeah, he was insane. I mean, I mean those... it's absurd. 
Yeah, like J.J. Bleday, who went two overall that year, like went 0 for 2 with two strikeouts against it. And was not close. Like they no. were swinging um, But you're exactly but, you right. Know, That's who he's going to have to trust. But yeah. does it even creep beyond that? I mean, no. can you imagine Mike Bianco's state of mind? Can you imagine how many mental bunts he's going to drop down in this head? If you're a listener, you'll understand that. I'm not even going to explain the jokes anymore. <laughs> if Wes Burton has to pitch in June – so here, here's what I think. Here's what I think, Scott. You know, shoot me if, if I'm wrong. Um, I think that Mike's going to have his four guys. He's going to have four guys out of the bullpen that he trusts. Is um, that three now with Diamond or four years? No, eight? no, I think he's got four. I think he's got four. Name the four. I'm not, I'm Taylor just, Broadway. Okay, go ahead. Taylor Broadway, Jack Doherty, Austin Miller, and Tyler Myers. I think he trusts those four for one reason. All four of them are going to throw it into the strike zone, and all four of them can throw a breaking ball for a strike. I don't think many others can do that. So those are the guys that when stuff's tight, when it's big situations, I think he's going to call on one of those four guys. Um, if it gets past that, I, I I don't think he lets it get past that in a meaningful situation. I just don't. I, Unless you know, Maybe I'm wrong. But I think he's going to run those guys out there continuously. I uh, I think you're 100 percent right, and and not to be that guy, but man, you know what they could use? What's that? A Maxwell Trophy. They they could use a Maxwell Trophy. And you know what they could use as well? The, the version the of state foresight that you've seen in small spurts. You know he what pitched. they could also use? <laughs> A left-handed option in Jackson Kimbrell, and you just don't have any of those. One of those no. is actually literally on the shelf, and the ship has sailed on the other two. I'm not suggesting he should try either one of those again. That's actually precisely my point that he shouldn't. But, you know, going into the year, you thought all three of those guys were going to pitch meaningful innings, and that's probably, injuries aside, the biggest failure of this team to this point, is it not? Some issues – not issues is the right word. Some concerns about some pitcher development on this team. I, 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 and I'm not necessarily blaming anybody, but you look at some guys, man, and, and they were a whole lot better last year than they were this year. And, I, and I'm not saying somebody's got to provide a reason for it, but something that needs to be addressed and fixed in the offseason because you can't get nothing out of Jackson Kimball, Braden Forsyth, Brandon Johnson, uh, you know, th those type of guys next yeah, year, Josh Mallett. They haven't really gotten anything out of Miller this year. Yeah. Not a ton, at least. No. I, I'm going to give a little bit of a pass on Miller just for some stuff. I I, I, I think Miller can be good uh, the, more he, the more time he gets on the mound. I think he can be what he was in 19 eventually. But those other four guys um, – I, I have I have concerns about their their development right now, and maybe it's just that some of them you know uh, needs more time in the program. But I uh, I I I just kind of think Jackson Kimbrell and Braden Forsyth should probably be better than what they are. Uh yeah. I mean, there's I don't really know. That there's a dissenting argument on that one. Two more quick questions I will throw at you here is: Is there any world that Jack Doherty starts a game for Ole Miss in the next month? when you're talking about a team that's going to play on Tuesday in Hoover, I'm not putting it past many people that they start a game. Okay. 
is there a world because and i hate you 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 brought this upon yourself because of what you said at the start of this podcast so i I hate to do it to you the gentleman that started this game tonight his name is josh mallets no he did pitch two scoreless no things went haywire no okay i'm not asking what you would do (laughs) (laughs) that's not the question here Tell me, look, he just pitched two scores. He doesn't walk people, as we've heard ad nauseum. He doesn't. He does not walk people. Give him credit. He deserves seriously. As a freshman, that is a good thing that he does not walk people. It's a very good thing. You just talk about running it past the four guys you mentioned. I, I, there's other options I would go with. But, man, if, if, if you're making me bet on the behavior of one Mike Bianco, is it, the first one out of there not mallets? I mean, that's his – other than bunting, Mallets is his his nervous habit. Now, In fairness to now him, it's his cigarette. He's a camel crush. So there's camel he's, crushes where you crush the ball where it goes to the menthol. Yeah. Mike Bunting is just the cigarette, but when things real get weird, he crushes that menthol ball and it's Josh Mallets. Yeah, but he hasn't pitched in three weeks, so so maybe he's on message boards. Now he doesn't have any other option. <laughs> do you, what do you think Mike's screen name on the Spirit would be? <laughs> I could go so many ways with this, and I wish you'd just texted me this before we started recording. <laughs> um, I would go glass of vino for 2069. L- L- little L I L Bert 420. I hate reporters 6969. I'm sticking with Lil Bert 420. You're all idiots 420. Um, I don't even know what else to go with. How does this affect Mike Bianco? No. <laughs> we, we can't tell that story. <laughs> I can't. It's not my story to tell. That's Chase's deal. There's another one. I, never mind. We need to move on. Yeah. So, in closing, so Ole Miss Vanderbilt this weekend. I, I does the guy in Pontotoc know that, 420? Yeah, the, the, <laughs> I think my half, half of my fan base is stupid and doesn't have internet for 2069. Like, depends <laughs> on how many characters we have. <laughs> that poor guy in Water Valley has no idea that Ole Miss lost 10 straight games. <laughs> Mike Bianco at BellSouth.net. Oh, God. All right, so we went it back into this Vanderbilt series. I think that was a very good big picture conversation about the loss of Gunnar Hoagland and kind of the perception of this team. I don't think they're out of it. I do think they have a shot with things. Um, Ole Miss would do well. I mean, if there's ever a time they need to pull an upset and win two games at home, sure. it is this weekend. And I'm not necessarily expecting them to do it. If you made me better, you made me pick on taking Vanderbilt two out of three. But at the same time, again, we probably get accused of being eternal optimists because the only time I've actually picked Ole Miss against Ole Miss in a series this year was uh, against South Carolina. And that you was forget actually, you picked them last week. Yes. Sorry, Wink Wink got picked at A&M last week. The only time I was legitimately picked South Carolina was kind of like I'd like to see it after four straight series losses. And I don't feel like we've been homers or wrong about any of them because there hasn't been a team that's – you know, on paper, been better than Ole Miss nope. this year, other than arguably Arkansas, if you really want to make one of them. Now what you see what they are now, and I guess Mississippi State with the way they're playing, but in terms of talent, there's not someone where you're like, oh, Ole Miss would upset them if they won. That Be that as it may, I guess what I'm trying to say is I wouldn't pick Ole Miss this weekend, but 
I don't 100% hate their chances, particularly with Leiter probably not pitching. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm completely with you. I, look, there's going to be – it's going to take a lot. Um, and I'll be honest, it's going to take probably Mike Bianco not being the head coach of Ole Miss baseball because one thing I can't count on them, they're going to win a fair share of games in the regular season in the Southeastern Conference. They never suck, ever. No, and and that's something that people keep, you know, putting this discussion off. It's like, well, let him screw up. He's not going to suck. Not going to happen. Um, I'm gonna, it's going to be really hard for me at any point to pick against a Mike Bianco team at home in the SEC because, look, I understand they've lost two series at home this year. They don't usually lose home series. They usually play really, really well at home. I agree. Let's uh, – you know, while we're here, I mean, let's go ahead and uh, – anyway, actually, I'll give, you, I'll give you a chance a little more, Scout. What is Vanderbilt going to do on Sunday? Because everyone knows about um, the soccer water thing. Actually, I'll, I'll – I'll, I'll I'll throw you to this way. Obviously, everyone knows that Kumar Rocker's going. Doesn't sound like Lighter's going. What are you going to see from Vanderbilt on the back half of their rotation? So if uh, Lighter doesn't go, you'll see Schultz on Saturday, who has not been good. Uh, he was their Sunday guy. He wound up getting. It's kind of a Derek Diamond situation. He was their Sunday guy. Wound up getting replaced. Um, now when Lighter went out, he came back in and pitched on Saturday against Alabama but he was really, really good against Alabama. Seven innings pitch, two earned runs, uh, two hits, I believe. Maybe two hits, no earned runs. I can't remember. Um, really good. Pretty high-velocity fastball, 93-95. I'll I, be honest. I, if Leiter does not pitch on Saturday, I think Ole Miss is going to score a lot of runs on Saturday. I think they're going to score a good many runs on Sunday. Uh, Schultz, who you'll probably see on Sunday, assuming Leiter doesn't pitch. Uh, I mean, he's he's an average pitcher. He's 90 to 92. He's got good off speed. They're not really good in the bullpen. Maldonado uh, is their closer. He's a freak show now. Don't, you know, it, it, make them burn him on Friday. If you're going to be behind, make them burn him because that kid's a freak. Um, but they're not. This isn't the Vanderbilt pitching staff you're accustomed to now. Um, outside of Rocker and Lighter, who make up for a lot. But if Lighter's not available, I'm telling you, there there is some weaknesses in this pitching staff. Yeah, Schultz has three starts at South Carolina, Missouri, LSU, if I'm not mistaken, and none of it went well. I think he went five against Missouri, which almost doesn't count. But outside of that, in terms of starting, it hasn't gone well. What do you think they do, though, on Sunday? Um, so, if Schultz no goes life, Saturday. I know they have a plethora of options. You mentioned you – know, I, right. I kind of almost chuckled when you said Schultz has a high like mid-90s fastball. Vanderbilt pulls some asshole off the street and the guy throws 96 on the black. <laughs> But yeah, they'll they'll throw Raleigh on on Sunday. I figure, and he's fine. I mean, he's not been very good. Uh, they actually started McIlvain against Florida. Uh, I don't know who they started last Sunday. I should look. That game actually wound up getting rained out after an inning. I should look and see who they started. Uh, I just don't remember. But you'll see either Raleigh or McIlvain. That they're, they're fine. They exist. They're nothing special. I mean, it's it's a Drew McDaniel's uh, you know counterpart. It's they're pretty equal. Um, so. I'm not going to, you know, look, I I don't think Vanderbilt's very good on the mound past Leiter and Rocker and Maldonado. So, I think Ole Miss's offense is going to have plenty of opportunities to to uh, get after the Commodores this weekend. I agree with that as well. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about earlier in the year when Rocker and Leiter were kind of doing their thing in the non-conference season was the fact that, you know, earlier in the year, and this seems like a world ago at this point, it's like, 
does this even matter? Is anyone going to be Vanderbilt? And kind of our answer collectively, and I mean, this was your point to start, was like, yes, because they haven't had the same offense that they have in years past, whereas as Rocker and Leiter have kind of come back down to earth and be human, this Vanderbilt offense has actually developed into a very good SEC offense. Yeah, very good. Um, so what happens when you have 50 scholarships. But, you know, yeah, I mean, it's good SEC offense. They're going to be really good in the postseason. It'll be hard to beat, assuming Leiter and Rocker are good to go. Um, because while Leiter and Rocker have struggled some of the postseason or in the regular season, excuse me, I do not expect any of those struggles to carry over into the regular into the postseason. I keep getting confused into the postseason because they're going to face lower competition. Leiter and Rocker, what they do against lower uh, level competition is just you know that that that's not a good matchup for them. So, um, but in saying that, I mean, look, and I and I've said this a lot. I get really really annoyed with this lighter and rocker being the best one-two punch in SEC history. It's, it's like not even the best one-two punch of the last three years. I don't understand that shit either. I get it's not even the best great. one. It's not even the best one-two punch of this year. If someone doesn't tear their UCL, I mean, you know, so, I don't know. It, it's that, that crap's annoyed me. I mean, John Daxakis and Ace Lacey were like this. They weren't even close. They were 10 times better than what these guys were. Could I offer you an Alex Lang, Jared Poche? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I get really, really annoyed with that crap. When, and, look, I get it. Like, Vanderbilt's this name program and it's actually for a college baseball team has a lot of cachet and a lot of branding stuff. I get it. But, like, if you actually follow this league, as a lot of people do, and, and you know, uh, especially that listen to us, they know, like, th- these guys are really good, but, like, you know, there's been a lot of good pitchers come through this freaking league. I mean, Christian Trent and uh, Chris Ellis had pretty much the same numbers as those two guys. But, you know, nobody mentioned them as the best one-two uh, ever, like was said this week. That that made that nauseated me. I agree. It's lazy, though. But I think what it's coming out of is Kumar. And I've made this case to you uh, a thousand, like four or five times about on this podcast throughout the year. So I won't rehash the entire case again. But it, it, it goes back to my theory that Kumar Rocker, incredible pitcher, and he's such a likable superstar, and he's such a fun guy to watch pitch. When you have Kumar Rocker, you know, numbers aside and his stuff aside, just the way he pitches and the way he commands a mound, you know, you're like, damn, is anyone ever going to score on this guy? And what he did in the 2019 postseason was sick. Well, when you have a guy at the beginning of the season that starts putting up better numbers than him, then the narrative just kind of takes off. And I hate that phrase, and I'm using it myself, because narrative – people, we've turned this into thing where narrative is just like something we assume is false, which is not what the word narrative means at all. But you get what I'm saying, right? Like the Jack Leiter thing started this year, and now everyone's like, oh, well, if he's better than Kumar Rocker, then he's just – you know, this is the greatest one-two punch of all time to where it's actually – none of those people saying that have ever actually watched any games like you mentioned. It's like, yeah. I mean, these guys at this point are neither one of them is going to go number one overall, according to every mock draft I see. Um, and the guy that actually, hey, would you like to know how the guy that actually did go number one overall did when he came to Oxford? Who is that? He, Casey Miles, and he he left with an ass kick. Like, like, almost Miles. Yeah, I mean that that stuff just annoys me. I mean, and you got to remember too. Mize pitched on game two, so he didn't even pitch against Ron Ross, and Brady Feigl kicked his tail. The Red Rocket. I love, I love Feigl. 
Of course, Feigl and Rollison, from a statistical standpoint, weren't much different. No, he's a uh, Feigl's a nice kid. I went to grad school with his girlfriend, the soccer goalie. Um, oh, really? Yeah, awesome. We had a ton of fun. She helped me get through classes I didn't fucking understand. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that. Anyway, yeah, it's your podcast. Yeah, whatever. as long as your mom doesn't mind. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, I not to keep you too long. Let's make our picks and get out of here in case this is the Friday show. We've outlined on Mrs. Uh, path. We've outlined everything else. Let's make the picks and then we will roll out of here. Whether people are listening to this on a Thursday or Friday, this is actually us getting the picks in early. So credit to us for being on top of things. Um, we have one Thursday, Saturday series this weekend. It is Mississippi state, Missouri, uh, state three. Missouri wins. None of those state three. I was wondering where you're going with that for a second. Uh, ooh, okay. I actually, this was not even on my radar. Arkansas goes to Tennessee. Yeah, it's for the SEC. Both of them are tied at 17 and 7. The smart pick to for, I, like I think Arkansas I know who you're going to pick. You go ahead. I feel like the smart pick is Arkansas too here because I know with the eye test, Arkansas is probably the best team in the conference. But I'm actually going to ride the Tennessee wave. Okay. You were, you were doing the same thing I am. I am at home. I'm going to take Tennessee wins too. Yeah, no, no. We're on the same page there. Like Arkansas I think Tennessee's better. really good. I do, too. They keep proving it time and time again. And it's not even the stuff they're doing against Vanderbilt. It's going on the road and sweeping Missouri, without a doubt, sure. right? and not screwing anything up. Because Winning two of three at A&M seems like a good idea. Exactly, and kind of pulling that – not pulling the Sunday game out of their ass, but you remember those first couple of innings kind of got sure. angry, and then they just proceeded to score 13 runs or whatever it was? Yeah. Like, yeah. That, that to me is a sign of a good team. And, you know, when you have it – Everyone talks about the NBA playoffs. You got to have the battle scars, and you got to been there before. For a program yeah. that hasn't been there before, they uh they certainly act like it. So yeah, we're yep. on the same page there. Uh, Georgia on the road at Florida. I'm going to go Florida too. Mm, yeah, uh, I don't know. If I'll, real quick, Georgia's this is big news for next week. Georgia's Friday night guys shut down for the year, so Ole Miss could get a little luck if they miss Lighter, and they're going to miss Webb next week. Did you say Georgia? Georgia announced full capacity for the rest of the season, starting with the Ole Miss series, uh, which was that's great, that's it. Great PR. That's uh, hey, the wait, only that's series. actually that's actually really good news for me because that's uh, that Friday game's on my birthday, so I have to I have to head. I wonder if the Braves are at home that weekend. Look, man, if you're uh, contemplating a spontaneous trip, uh, Athens is my favorite town in the SEC, not named Oxford. I have to I have to make an appearance over there. Fantastic. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, Florida, too. I don't know if I said that. Yeah, Florida, too. Um, I just – that was some incredible media-relating where it's – we're full capacity the rest of the season, and Ole Miss is the last series they have on the schedule. Maybe maybe they have a midweek game. They'll be full capacity. Yeah. Look, man, spot the lie. No, they don't have the midweek game. They, the Hoover's the next week. No, they have – they could have a midweek game this coming week. Under like, the, their announcement I'm – not, I'm not doubting you. Their announcement was – Going to full capacity at Fulling Field, starting with the Ole Miss series. Oh, that was okay, the headline. I, that. I thought you meant like starting now. No, <laughs> it was some professional media relating, pal. That, that's some SID right there. Hell yes, it did. Kyle Campbell would piss his pants at that. Um, the last time I made a Kyle Campbell reference, it made its way back to the media relations department. So uh, hopefully that one does too. Kentucky goes. Kentucky hosts South Carolina, and you got kind of a Kentucky team against a South Carolina team that's not playing well. Uh, I'll take the bait. I'll go Kentucky, too. Yeah, man, we're making the same picks. I, I too, will take the, the uh, Wildcats, too. I don't believe in South Carolina. 
this is the classic weekend where we're 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 it's not even called the trendy picks, but like we're seeing the board clear. I don't know. There's just a lot of clear picks this weekend. Ole Miss, Vanderbilt. I'll let you go first. I mean, I'm just gonna go Vandy too. We'll get it out of the way. Screw it, Vandy too. I I hope I'm wrong, but yeah, I I think well the the thing is like even if Leiter doesn't pitch, Vandy has a real shot to win the series. If Leiter does pitch, I really think they win the series. So yeah, I'll I'll go Vandy too and hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, we're we're big J journalists on this show, and I know we're hugely concerned about credibility. Um, so that preserved our credibility. <laughs> Honestly, it wouldn't stun me at all, particularly if Leiter doesn't pitch if Ole Miss wins the series. No. Like, come on, man. They've, they've had three feet. They, their, their next two out of three would be their first. They've had three sweeps, so can I see it? Um, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Auburn hosts A&M. Oh, so do you, do you remember, like, when we were, I don't know, 12 or 13 and like uh, Vanderbilt and South Carolina would play a football game at 11 on something called JP sports. Oh yeah. Dave Neal. And I, forget I wonder if we that was, I wonder if we could put like this on JP on Jefferson Pollock. Oh, I'm all with you. This is disgusting. I will say. I'm we talked Auburn. about how Auburn should be better. I'll tell you who's playing better ball now. So I'll go with the Aggies too. Sure, I'll take Auburn too. It doesn't matter. Neither one of these teams are worth the crap. Look for the for 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 all of Ole Miss's flaws last weekend and everything that went wrong. Ole Miss has had a caught a couple of bad teams playing their best ball. Sure, like, like Ole Miss should have beaten LSU. Of course, they screwed that up. But LSU played better than they have played at most weekends than they had the previous three weekends. Sure. Ole Miss, and I felt like that was a bit of an A and M. And you know, you take out Will Frizzell. And it's a different conversation, but that still matters. A and M played pretty clean baseball last weekend. Anyway, yeah, absolutely. Um, last one is Alabama goes to LSU. Really big series. Um, Huge. So, ooh, that's that one's Alabama wins too because I still don't think LSU's any good. I agree. Uh, I hate that we agreed so much, but that's a massive series, too, because yeah. it cements Alabama in the tournament, and that all oh, but eliminates LSU. You know, LSU blew that 10-inning game against Auburn on Sunday to where they had gotten to 10-14. and 14. Yeah, you got a real path. We all, as I say, we all made fun of that whole LSU's going to figure it out and do the late May run. There would have been an actual path to it had they actually gotten to 10-14. and 14. Yeah. I mean, there still is, but it involves a sweep over Alabama or A&M. And I don't buy either one, so I'm going. No, I don't flip. think they're good enough to do that. I'll tell you, I wish you had a pretty impressive win over Vitek in the midweek, but I still don't buy it. I think Alabama. Yeah, their their metrics besides, and we can. I don't want to talk about this conference record is crap, but um, their metrics besides their conference record are really good, actually. No, they are. Their RPI is very good. Other, you know, they just they had a tough start to conference play with some injury, and they just aren't that yep. talented, and they hadn't been able to overcome it. All right, we made our picks. Before we get out of here, I would be completely remiss if I didn't let you shit on Tim Corbin. But this actually made me respect him a little bit more. So Vanderbilt, the media availability we talked about earlier in the day, where he didn't really shed any light on Jack Leiter at all. He just said it was up in the air. I don't think he's pitching like you mentioned as we talk about it early on this Thursday morning at this point, uh, that he's pitching this weekend. He got asked about something about the injuries or whatever, and Tim Corbin went full-on self-awareness. I'll give him credit for this. And his quote was something to the effect of, hold on, I'll pull up, Adam Sparks of the Tennessee and had it. It was, yeah, we'll be fine because you know we have 50 scholarships. 
Um, we can give anyone a scholarship. We should be fine. I gave my wife a scholarship last night. How did you feel about said quote? Uh, I mean, look, I'm not mad about it, but like, I mean, I, I do appreciate the self-awareness, but I, I, like, let's not kid ourselves either. They're not operating on 50 scholarships, but they ain't operating on 15 either. Um, so whatever records like if you want to if you want to throw a little shade and and a lot of that comes frankly from from mississippi fans like old miss and mississippi state um because i don't really think any other schools complain about it because the alabama schools don't, well the alabama so they either benefit care. from it or don't know right the alabama schools don't care and the other states have you know a lot of advantages so they don't really care um but it was it was a shot at the mississippi schools that they complain about it and that's whatever. I mean, you know, you operate on 28 scholarships. It's fine. Like, like there was one year that they had 28 scholarships and Ole Miss and State are operating on 11.7. Um, whatever. I mean, I, I thought it was kind of funny. But, you know, let's not pretend like it was all sarcasm either. There, there, there was a little bit of truth hidden behind there. Of course it is. And that's what made it funny. It's like, one, if you want to score this on a points-wise, one, Credit Tim Corbin, self-awareness. I thought it was funny. I read that on the surface. like, ha-ha, actually, this is kind of funny. It makes me like him. He more. is a little pissed off, though. Oh, it's like, not 100 Yeah, No, no, it's, it's not 100% ha-ha-ha. Like, here's what – like, you know, it was, it was the classic, like, I don't know. I mean, I had this run-in with a coworker the other day where they made some comment, and they're like, oh, I'm just messing with you, bro. And it's like, actually, you're not, but we're going to laugh about it because I don't want to confront you right now type of deal, right? Like, it's <laughs> I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding type of thing. So that's exactly what was going on here. So credit to Tim Corbin for self-awareness. Uh, one, it doesn't play because of the fact that he says they have 50 scholarships. Well, uh, what was that number you mentioned that they oh, yeah. had? 28 well that's that's closer to 50 than like you know 11.7 yeah it's almost it obviously i'm not that bad at math i mean it's it, it's about halfway in between so like it's also like like almost partly true and at the same time uh my uh my take the big takeaway to me was the same way you did it uh, the same thing you said was it's at least gotten to him enough from the Mississippi schools bitching at it. Cause this is not coming from anywhere else. And as much nope. as I like to not give credence to the internet and, you know, random dudes on Twitter saying stuff, where else is this coming from? Cause they don't talk about it during games. Now you'll never hear Kyle Peterson mention it. And you don't have national writers talking about it either. No, exactly. God, no national writers making excuses about how other schools could do it. If they really wanted to sack. Now I will season. say this. Did you see Matt Wyatt's thing? No. Matt Wyatt is doing a documentary, like a full-blown documentary on the 11.7 myth where he's going around and, like, talk to coaches all over the Southeastern Conference. You want to know what coach he didn't talk to? Timothy Corbin. That would be the one. What does he mean, the myth, though? Is he disproving that State and Ole Miss operate on that? Yeah, well, he's he's disproving that he he's showing that Ole Miss and State operated, like, the disadvantages that they do. Oh, so his point is not to make – I was about to say, because Matt White's a state guy through and through. Yes, yes. No, 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 no. He's, he's showing that – I mean, he interviewed Bianco, Cohen, Lamonis, uh, Strickland at Florida, and a lot of SEC coaches. I mean, it's, it's going to be good. That's good. I've never met Matt White. That sounds very interesting. 
Um, I feel like we're supposed to beef because I got my job because him leaving Super Talk. <laughs> but I'm not. Uh, the only thing I can get out on him is that I have more hair. But he's an SEC quarterback, and I'm 5'6 with uh, heels on. So um, that sounds awesome. I'm looking forward to watching. I, in all seriousness, you mentioned that. I'm very glad someone's actually – I hope that goes mainstream. I'm very glad someone's bringing that to light because it's total horse shit and no one mentions it anyway. Before I keep you for 11 o'clock tonight, I appreciate it as always, dude. This was a Absolutely. lot of fun. We're not doing a mailbag Friday. <laughs> I said this at the top of the show, and we just went an hour and 45 minutes talking ball again. So we'll go back to mailbag Sunday, I guess, depending on my flight schedule. No, we're definitely going back to mailbag Sunday. Um, so I'm probably just going to drop this on Thursday. And if you're hearing this on Friday and all your dates are messed up, sorry I'm an idiot. But I appreciate the time, dude. <laughs> Sounds good, my man. All right, everybody have a safe and happy start to their, I guess, long weekend. Because if I have a short work week, that means you do too. Celebrate the people's holiday accordingly. Colin and I will be back at it on Sunday. Take it easy, brother. We'll have a beer this weekend, actually. Absolutely. All right, everybody be safe, and we'll be back at it on Sunday.